everybody. Welcome to the May 6, 2016 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on the Fix Colorado Roads Act, a proposal that would ask voters this November to approve a 20-year bond program to fund $3.5 billion in road projects around the state. Now, we're taking a little bit different take here. Usually, we start with Patty, but at the table today, we have Joey Bunch from the Denver Post with up-to-date breaking news on this. We're taping Friday at noon. As we know it right now, where are we at in this bill? Well, just before I came here, the Senate passed it out of that to the House. And the House could take it up this afternoon. They could kill it this afternoon. There's a lot of fractures in this deal, but the fault line is mass transit. You know, Democrats, mass transit's the holy grail. But Republicans see mass transit as good money after bad. And I'm going to tell you, if the train to DIA falters, then I don't think that we're going to see transportation of mass transit money. So I say we'll see uh, trans bonds again in 2017. I don't see it moving by next Wednesday, the end of the session. Well, you hear, heard it here first. Let's get some more comments. Patty Cahoon from Westward. Um, if this does, does or doesn't happen, it seems that roads are, is an issue that all Coloradans care about, regardless of what side of the aisle they may particularly be registered with. Are you surprised we haven't been able to see this get on the ballot yet? Well, I'm not surprised because there are many roadblocks for no matter what the <laughs> issue is, but especially for transportation. If you really want to get it through, what you do is you don't count on the legislature, which talk about roadblocks. I mean, there are roadblocks and potholes are all over that place. Mm -hmm. You petition on, you get it. You file for a petition, too late now. You get signatures. You've got until August to get the signatures, and you get it on the ballot, and you hope that all the Coloradans who are tired of the potholes and the other problems on the road will, pay, will vote for it. But there's no time to do that now. David Copel, the Independence Institute and DU Law School. 2016's ballot is going to be huge already, whether this actually makes the ballot or not. Do you think it'd actually be smarter to be on a, a, an off-season, off-year mm -hmm. ballot where it would probably be the headliner? That's the conventional wisdom, is it's easier to pass uh, more borrowing or more taxing in an off-year election, uh, as, especially as opposed to a presidential one where the, the turnout's typically higher. That's why referendum C, which passed the huge tax increase, and referendum D, which was defeated, the big borrowing increase, uh, were put on an odd-numbered year ballot, and the proponents conceded. Uh, that was the only way they could pass it. This, I think, would have a, a better chance, though, in, in a... a a reasonable chance in a broad election because as you say people drive they want the roads to be in good shape and if you're asking people you know, are we going to spend more money on something as the taxpayers bill of right gives them the, the people the right to decide uh... this might well be popular and the democrats on the other hand understand that mass transit given the uh... reason to drive organizations miserable performance on light rail uh, can't pass on its own with the voters right now, and so they they, they want to jam it on people anyway uh, by saying, well, you can't have better roads without throwing more good money after bad uh, to RTD. I imagine, too, $3.5 billion attracts a lot of folks yeah. that might want to add something to it. Running into the panel today, John Bowman, freelance journalist, also working with BrotherJeff.com. Um, wrap it up for us. Do you think 
Coloradans want to see more action on something like roads? Well, the, the, this proposal is mainly driven by northern Colorado uh, types who basically want three lanes from all the way up to Wellington on I-25. Um, this is being driven uh, by that group, basically. Uh, they want to mimic the fast track uh, act that just came in on the federal side, and they want to do the same thing at the state level. Um, I'm not sure that the entire state should pay for uh, better roads in northern Colorado. Maybe that's something that they should fund on their own, as they did with the improvements from Longmont North. Um, but the bottom line is, you know, uh, RTD, uh, or I, I should say CDOT, is telling people that uh, I-25 traffic is going to increase by 60 percent by 2040. So something has to be done with all the people coming to, s to the state. Uh, we're just, the infrastructure here is just not right for the amount of traffic that there is here. After Donald Trump's big win in the Indiana primary on Tuesday, both Senator Ted Cruz and Go Governor John Kasich suspended their campaigns, leaving Trump as the presumptive Republican nominee. Attention now turns to down-ticket Republican candidates to see if they will openly support Trump. Locally, Representative Mike Kaufman has refused to support Trump yet, calling him divisive. Patty, Donald Trump, presumptive nominee, did you think we would ever say those words together? <laughs> no, it is like a reality, a really bad reality show, except it's our lives right now. If we went back and looked at what we had said about Donald Trump when he was thinking of making noise about getting in this race a year ago, we were probably snickering, saying nothing is going to happen, and here he is. Um, the people who are in the toughest spot, obviously, are not just the down-ticket Republicans, but people like Paul Ryan. What do you do? Do you support him? So. Will, will supporting him be a problem for those down-ticket Republicans? If he is as unpopular as it seems, what does Kaufman have to gain by coming out in favor of Donald Trump? Uh, of Trump? So it's a really tricky thing. And, of course, mainstream Republicans also have to decide who, who they're going to vote for. If anyone, are they going to sit it out? Are they not? Are they going to go for almost as unpopular Hillary, who at least has experience in, in government? But uh, it is, it's wild. And of course, then you still have Bernie Sanders going along. He's going the distance all the way to the convention. And even when he wins a primary, barely gets a footnote now. Yeah, Donald Trump clears out 12 competitors before Hillary can uh, uh, clear up the one, even though she's clearly going to be the nominee. David, when you come to local Republicans uh, looking at this issue, it feels like a damn if they do, damn if they don't scenario. If they come out like Mike Kaufman, who's going to have a tight race with Morgan Carroll, and say, I, I find Trump divisive, I don't support him, the independents probably smile at that, but folks who are on the Republican side who are probably going to maybe vote for Trump might not. The other way around, you lose the independence. Is it really a catch-22? No. Samuel Francis was a aide to North Carolina Republican Senator John East, the most conservative senator we've probably had in this country in the last 50 years. Francis said there are two political parties in this country, the evil party and the stupid party. The Republicans are really showing off their core competence on the stupidity side against while the Democrats are for the first time in their party's history, going back to Thomas Jefferson, going to nominate someone who is very justifiably disliked by a majority of the American public. The Republicans could have won the presidency pretty easily with almost any of the other 16 candidates they had and accomplished a lot of their policy objectives with the Republican president. But instead, they've picked the one guy who really has the, the best shot by far of losing even to Hillary Rodham Clinton. And they're apparently trying to expand their appeal 
by also going for the evil vote, by going for <laughs> nominating a guy who was the, the model for Biff in Back to the Future Part <laughs> 2, and the most anti-un-American candidate the Republicans have certainly ever nominated, a guy who couldn't pass the U.S. citizenship test given to immigrants because he, he plainly knows nothing and cares nothing about the U.S. Constitution and our structured government of liberty. He's the opposite of that. People say America first when they're voting for him, but they're really voting for a Latino, Argentinian, Guatemalan-style strongman Caudillo, the opposite of what a patriotic American would vote for. So, Mike Kaufman, good for you. I think the voters are, gonna, are disgusted with this terrible, awful non-choice, and they will be looking for people down ballot who show some independence from either of these awful characters. Joey, you're at the Capitol Hill every day, seeing all the craziness there, but you're around a lot of people who are going to be running for election this November. What's been their reaction to this? Well, I'm going to ride on Dave's draft on that because, you know, we all know, we can take for granted that this is going to be an election that historians are going to write about. And these candidates have to think long and hard about whether they stand with Donald Trump for the long haul because... You know, the people who stand with Trump are either going to look like geniuses or jackasses, and history doesn't remember geniuses. So if you're going to ride that tiger, you, you, want, you want to be sure what you're grabbing hold of before you get on. You know, Donald Trump has basically, figuratively at least, spit on the state Republican Party. And, you know, that, that's red meat for the people, the base that are, that are supporting him. But the establishment doesn't become the establishment because it doesn't have followers. So I think Mike Kaufman is smart on this, and I think, uh, I think Cory Gardner has been smart on, on this. Um, you just want to be careful on where you stand because you're going to be standing there for a long time. John, are local Democrats licking their chops on this one? Well, I would imagine everybody is. This is, this is you got the Republican Party, you got the Democratic Party. Then you got the conservative wing of the Republican Party. Then you got independent Bernie Sanders over here. Then you got Trump over here. So you got three factions on the Republican side. They're in a, they're in a, they're in a pickle. Basically, it's political paralysis. That's what I would call it. Um, and I do like the Biff reference, but <laughs> some, have, some have really gone Jesse Jackson on this. I can support but not indoors. So uh, Republicans, are, they're on a journey, some say, from denial to resistance to uh, grudging acceptance. Peace in the Republican Party may never happen again. Only on Colorado Inside Out are you going to have Biff from Back to the Future Part <laughs> 2 and Jesse Jackson in the same conversation. You're welcome, Colorado. Let's get to the next topic. The Republican U.S. Senate primary took more crazy turns this week as Robert Blaha was first deemed to not have enough signatures, but then won an appeal, placing him on the primary ballot. Blaha accused Secretary of State Wayne Williams of being part of a permanent political class and called for his resignation over the ballot petition process. Meanwhile, Ryan Frazier has been placed in the ballot, but his status is pending the results of an appeal to a ruling that had that he had insufficient signatures. <laughs> David, you're a brilliant attorney, but this is still difficult to break apart in what's going on here. At the end of the day, is it about the rules that weren't being followed or that there's a permanent political class holding this back? Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely, because Robert Blaha is, sure, is certainly the man of the people with, with broad support and, and, and leading this, this citizen army. Contrast that with Representative Kaiser, who also, when the Secretary of State did what he's supposed to, which is follow all the rules very technically, and he doesn't have much flexibility, 
but then a, a judge is allowed to uh, put somebody back on the ballot based on substantial compliance, even if not full compliance. And Kaiser went through that system, got back on the ballot, and didn't whine about it. Whereas Blaha, you know, uh, apparently thinking he's, I don't know, uh, he's, he's a guy who knows very little about public affairs. I heard him uh, when he was running in the CD in the, in, for Congress in 2008 and was asked about the Heller case. You can go watch it on YouTube. And he obviously has no clue about that major Supreme Court case which just came down affirming Second Amendment rights. So it, it's, it's just the typical, the, the re, fine for him for suing and getting back on the ballot. That's, he, he can do that. Uh, but the, the cry-bullying style of uh, Dare Trump and, uh, and Hillary on the other side of like, oh, you criticized me, that must mean you hate women. Uh, en enough of this kind of stuff. How about, how about some manly men who actually just go out and fight and win? Joey, this seemed, uh, so many elements of this are surreal, but I was talking with my producer before the program. You have a Republican candidate for U.S. Senate uh, talk, calling the Republican Secretary of State part of the permanent political class who's had the job for a year and a half. And then you have the former Republican Secretary of State, Scott Gessler, working as the attorney for Ryan Frazier, who's trying to get back to the Republican ballot. <laughs> Reaction at the Capitol, your personal reaction, take your pick. Well, you know, this is a combination of both because there's, there's a lot, this has been talked about a lot the last week, probably more so than legislation in the Capitol. The, um, you know, it's crazy, isn't it? I yeah. mean, the, leave it to the, to the state Republican Senate race to make the national presidential race <laughs> seem more moderate. But, um, you know, on one hand, yeah, you know, Blaha, Ryan Frazier, even John Kaiser, they look weak and a little incompetent because they didn't handle this the way that, you know, Jack Graham did. But, you know, on the other hand, we've got a couple of months here that, um, you know, if, if you're going to send a candidate against Michael Bennett, who's going to have the money in the machine to wage a bloody war, you want a fighter. But I got to tell you, Daryl Glenn is the candidate with the wind at his back. He comes out of that Republican convention looking very strong. You know, he's got great presence. He had a great message. And if he's not cutting a, a, an ad out of his speech at that uh, convention, then then uh, then he's not getting good political advice. He's kind of a combination of, he's got a great resume. He's kind of a combination of John Kaiser and Muhammad Ali. I look for <laughs> all of these guys who get on the ballot need to be aiming at Daryl Glenn. He's the candidate to be. Now that's the ad I want to see. <laughs> uh, John, have you ever seen a process go like this? I pity the fool. Oh, no, wait. <laughs> wrong guy, wrong guy. Here we go He's again. He's a bad man. There I you know. Go. Here we go again, though. This is, this is, this is I, I don't know, inside politics at its finest. You've got candidates who have run for office before, like Ryan Frazier. You've got people in there that know what they're supposed to be doing. You hire staffers, and then you don't play by the rules that are already laid out. You don't realize that if your signatures aren't the first signatures that get you know processed they don't count well ryan fraser should have known that they th this is uh, so so what happens is these guys get into a pickle they then run to the courts and cry foul just like donald trump you know this is not fair this system is rigged but come on man like like uh, like david said man up go out and do what you're supposed to do follow the rules know the rules and play the game the way it's supposed to be played if you don't like the rules don't play the game. Patty, we're, uh, I guess, a little under two months in the primary election, but it's a mail-in ballot, so people start getting ballots mid-June. Does any of this stick with any of the candidates, the problems getting on the ballot? Well, first of all, people would have to actually remember who's running, and when, 
you know, this is all inside politics for us, right. but I would guess most people on the street, if you stopped them and said, who's Robert Blaha, they would have no idea. And even once they knew, they probably wouldn't care. <laughs> so, although if he's a really manly man as, uh, and lives up to that, I guess that would be interesting. So we're going to have maybe four, maybe five candidates on this primary ballot. We have to remember it's just going to be how the vote winds up splitting. We remember Congressman Tancredo, who wound up, what, was he one of five or six? And he was the last man standing in that primary. So no matter how great Daryl Glenn seems, if he's not, if the vote gets split, he may not make it. It is crazy. Let's also point out one other character in here. The only thing that has given me, well, there a lot of things have given me pleasure in this complete cluster, but the <laughs> fact that Lynn Bartles is at the Secretary of State's office watching all this happening, listening to Robert Blaha talk about how rigged something is. If there's anyone who understands the political system and knows who's being honest and playing the game correctly, it's Lynn Bartles. So the fact that she's there watching over all this makes me very happy. People didn't know, uh, couldn't understand the kind of the, the genius Wayne Williams had in hiring her uh, last year. Now, I think they're seeing the exact genius he had in hiring I completely agree. The state Supreme Court ruled this week in favor of state regulations of hydraulic fracturing, overturning local bans in Longmont and Fort Collins. The court ruled that state regs supersede any local measures. Anti-fracking activists promised to respond to the ruling with a ballot issue addressing the situation. In fact, I think on Friday they were pro uh, planning a big protest. We saw a press release about that. Uh, Joey, did this all but guarantee there this is going to be just strictly be a ballot fight? No, I don't think so at all. I have been watching these fractivists for the last couple of years, and I think they've run out of gas. I've got to tell you, you know, the group that's there now just doesn't have any money. I don't see a lot of organization there. And if you're going to go up against oil and gas, which has, oh, my God, money, you're not going to beat them with bake sales. So until somebody like, um, you know, Jared Polis, Pat Stryker, Patty Calhoun, George Soros <laughs> stroke a check, I say show me the money, and we'll go from there. John, some of this makes me feel that, the fact that we've seen low oil prices for at least over a year now and much less production. You're not seeing thousands of wells opening up and, you know, backyards, things like that. It's, it's really retracted. It'll be hard to get uh, folks in the independent side of things. Environmentalists are always going to be against fracking. Um, but those folks in the middle that decide election issues, it'll be hard to kind of uh, see if they're really that angry about it. Uh, because of that, do you think these ballot issues won't happen this year? I, I don't know if the ballot issues will happen. Uh, bottom line is, this is... The, the, in, unless they can prove that fracturing, that the fracturing process does something to the plates and causes Colorado to have more earthquakes than anywhere else in the world, I, I would say I'm, 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 I support fracking. Bottom line is we have refined more Texas sweet crude oil here in Colorado, and the gas that has been brought out of the ground with the fracking processes has helped keep the gas prices very low in Colorado as well. OPEC has played their part. They've cut the price of the barrel of oil, and that's what, that's what has caused all, of the, all these plants to shut down, in, in essence. The, the, the bottom line is Congress needs to rescind the Clinton Act that said we are not going to export any oil from, any crude from America. This came in in the, in the 70s or whenever, and they have not, uh, they have not uh, acted on that. We can't send this Texas sweet crude, which American, we don't have any plants that can refine this. We can do the Brent if we get it out of out of out of other countries but we can't do the kind we can't refine the the products that we're doing here bottom line for me is uh, having talked to family farmers all over the northern colorado and eastern plains they love it. This is allowing them to stay on their land just a little bit longer when the government has really set them adrift. 
Patty, it feels that the compromise that uh, John Hinkle released uh, headed uh, regarding the headlines that got these ballot issues off the ballot in 2014 when this was really a hot issue, and now it seems to be kind of fizzing in 2016. Could it be another couple years before we see a ballot fight? Oh, I think we might still see a ballot measure this year because remember that was the one when Polis at the last second they worked mm -hmm. out a deal, even though he is not so involved this round. We have to remember the people who can go get the petition signatures easily are those who are activists, those who have causes. Now, they can go out and do it without even having to rely on a paid petitioner or Robert Blaha. So <laughs> I think it's very likely we will see at least one fracking-related proposal on the ballot. But what we will also see is the war chest that the oil and gas companies, even though gas you know, prices are so low, even though their bottom line has been falling, they've managed to come up with, what have we read in the post, $6 million to fight whatever is going to come up. So we will see the fractivists squashed like bugs, probably, with whatever they come up with in November. David, last time, 2014, it was a multiple issues. You had a bunch from anti-fracking folks. You had a bunch from the oil and gas company. Do you think if we're going to see anything this year, it's going to be a focus point on what we heard from this particular court ruling? Sure, that would be the, the thing to go for. And if you put the issue of, say, local control on the ballot, that's more popular you know, mm -hmm. just when you say it that way, uh, than what these people, these war on science people are after, which is a complete ban on all oil and gas production because they're, you know, they're essentially like, you could have Muslim or Jewish extremists just say, not only am I against pork, eating pork, I don't want anybody else to do it. It offends me that this is going on, and it's not really on a scientific basis that pork, pork or fracking are unhealthy for you. They're actually both good for the environment and both good for the economy. But whatever, they've got their moral objection and they want to, they want to take it to the ballot as they have the, the right to do under our system. The Colorado Supreme Court, which has a lot of left to right wing ideological diversity, didn't make an ideological decision. They just said, what is the law? When the legislature says we want to have uniform state rules on something, that's generally what happens, and local governments can't go against that. If you want to change that, the legislature could vote to change it, or the people could vote to change it if they choose to do so. But I hope the people uh, listen to the scientists and not to the hysterics. Well, it's time for a very part of the show. If you have a disgrace of the week or say something nice that you'd like us to share during next week's show, post it on our Facebook page or our Twitter feed. We hope you join the discussion. But as always, Patty Cahoon starts us off. Well, this is an obscure topic that makes Robert Blaha look like a household word. <laughs> He's the best word show. Uh, I think so. I finally learned how to pronounce it, so I'm going to use it. There are, they are considering new wastewater storm drainage issues that would raise everybody in Denver's bill. There was a hearing that went on yesterday and went on and went on and went on to the... And Neighborhoods are upset. City council people are upset that the city wasn't forthcoming with them. They wound up postponing the whole consideration for two more weeks. Everybody look at your wastewater bills and start paying attention because it is going to be the big fight of this season. David. Anti-Semitism is on the rise globally, and we saw it here in, in Denver where one of the leading global anti-Semitic organizations, Code Pink, uh, picketed the annual meeting of REMAX because REMAX sells real estate all over the world, including in Judea and Samaria. So according to Code Pink, if you have a Palestinian who lives in Judea and sells a house to another Palestinian in Ju Judea, that's a bad thing to do because it's, uh, the, the Israeli government controls the area. Joey. 
Yesterday afternoon, Senate Republicans on a committee killed a bill that would have permanently made Mile High part of the Denver Broncos stadium name. And it was a piece of feel-good legislation that came out of the House. And apparently those Republicans didn't see those million Broncos fans on their doorstep the Monday after the Super Bowl. You know, those are voters. But on the other hand, this strikes at the heart of what Republicans believe. A piece of feel-good legislation where you're going to tell a business how they have to run their business. I can kind of see both sides of it, but still, it's a disgrace that we can't call it Mile High Stadium. Now, in reality, no business is ever going to take that name off. But come on, let's make it law. John, I like that, and, and, and the taxpayers paid for it anyway. Uh, I, I'm going to go with uh, Frontier Airline uh, and those animals on the tail. They have picked up a cool, what is it, um, $220 million in bag fees this past year. $220 million, and American Airlines has even topped that with $1.1 billion in bag fees with fuel prices as low as they've ever been. Give us a break. All while sitting on a lawn chair. It's kind of nice. <laughs> Time for a season of the nights, but somebody might be tough for this week. Patty? Well, I will say I had a good flight on Frontier last week, although I was I just Frontier. surprised. I was surprised they didn't charge me for the bags under my eyes. <laughs> uh, I'm going to play the woman card since uh, David's been manly man tonight today and say happy Mother's Day to here, all here. The, the true mothers out there, not some of the mothers in the legislature, <laughs> and especially to my mother who is back in Colorado. So happy Mother's Day to everyone. Here, here. David. The Colorado Department of Transportation, which did a great job in building the Mountain Express Lane on I-70, the recent studies come out, showed how, how well it's working. That's a great way to expand road capacity without raising taxes and just making the people who want to pay for it, pay for it. Joey. Senator Randy Baumgartner. Now, a lot of special interest in lobbyists just gasp. But Senator Randy Baumgartner, he's a gruff old billy goat of the legislature. And last year, he stood in the way of a tire traction bill. Well, it started out as a snow tire bill. And then by the end, it was a clarification bill. So I asked him, you know, if it doesn't do anything, why not just vote for it? And he said, why give people false hope with an empty solution? Let's do something that, that'll really work. And when the transportation bond legislation came out this week, Randy Baumgartner and the I-70 Mountain Corridor were front and center. Now, he stood up to a lot of pol powerful political interest in Grand Junction, oh, in Grand Junction, I'm sorry, Grand County and Summit mm -hmm. County. But political courage is rare and follow-through is even more rare. So, thumbs up to Randy Baumgartner. John. I'm going to give it to the shoe lady, uh, Rainia Kelly. She runs a redistribution center that helps about 1,500 veterans a week. She has a place in uh, uh, Wheat Ridge and she, or Arvada. She also has a place down on Fort Carson on the property down there. And uh, so she has teamed up with MMJ America, which is one of the industry giants here in the city. Uh, they actually donated to her cause, uh, uh, giving money for each sale they made during 420 week. That's all the time we have tonight. Thanks for tuning in. For everyone here at Channel 12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for watching. Good night.